Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Having a great day, brother. Uh, Well, I'm excited because we are dealing with some eschatological questions, end times questions, questions not just about end times, I mean, eternal everything. I mean, these are big deal. And uh, we had a, a couple of questions we want to get to, and they're specific to the millennium, and not just the millennium, but also heaven, Jesus' reign, and so forth. But these are important topics, and some things can get a little skewed, and, and maybe some, if you don't have a, a proper timeline, things can get really misunderstood, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation. So we want to dig into these questions, and we had a sister in the Lord named Carrie write to us and ask us this question specifically on Revelation 20 and 21. She said, Hi, Chad, I am baffled about a spiritual question. Can you give me your take on it, please? Is Revelation 21, 1 through 4 about heaven or the millennial kingdom? I was just challenged by scripture. In Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth coming. We look at this as the millennial kingdom, but it says there will be no more death, yet there is death in the millennial kingdom. Those who die at 100 will be considered young. So this kingdom cannot be the millennial kingdom, but heaven itself. Can you just tell me, is Revelation 21, 1 through 4 about heaven or the millennial kingdom? Could you ask Joe about it too, please? Thank you, and shalom, bro. Well, Joe, I just asked you about it. (laughs) (laughs) And shalom, sister. That's a great question. Uh, Many people view Revelation chapter 21 as dealing with the millennium and it isn't though, and you actually have to tell into your question there, sister. You got it right. It, this has to be heaven. It's talking about the heavenly kingdom. In fact, when you look at it chronologically, uh, I don't know why anybody would even jump to the conclusion as this person who was sharing with you did, or was taught. Maybe they inherited their theology there, uh, because you're not picking that up from scripture. Uh, because when you read the chapters before, you Revelation chapter 19, uh, Jesus comes back on a white horse with the armies of heaven. The beast is taking with him the false prophet through the live lake of fire. Then in Revelation chapter 20, uh, you see the effect of his coming. You see uh, the resurrection of the righteous, those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. They reign a thousand years with Christ. That's the millennial period, six times within six verses. We have uh, the thousand years mentioned specifically, a thousand year period of time. And then uh, we see that they reign with Christ, those who are victorious those who refuse to take the mark, those who, uh, it says they came to life. So speaking of the resurrection, the resurrection, uh, it's called the first resurrection there in those first six verses, which destroys pre-tribulationism because pre-tribulation rapture would have to have a resurrection, you know, a thousand years, a thousand, I'm sorry, uh, seven years earlier at a pre-trib rapture, but it's not until the second coming of Christ that the bride's been made ready. And by the way, she's not had a party in heaven. She's made ready for his coming. Uh, she's on earth in Revelation chapter 19. He comes back. And then you have the resurrection of the righteous. And blessed are those who are partake in the first resurrection, it says, because the second death will have no effect on them. 
So we want to be in that first resurrection. That means you want to make sure you're following Jesus. And then it says they'll reign with him for a thousand years. And then it talks about how uh, those who are reigning with him through that thousand years, this is all Revelation 20 before we get to Revelation 21. It's important to get the context. Christ's second coming, Revelation 19, the effects of his coming, he establishes his kingdom. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, we're reigning with him for a thousand years. Uh, at the end of those thousand years, uh, Gog and Magog, you have like the sand of the sea, uh, people arise. These are those unbelievers that were not resurrected bodies. And you see that that's another question which we can answer again sometime. Uh, but the scriptures are very clear. Revelation or Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, uh, as to how you get these people in their natural bodies in the uh, that's for next millennial week. period. Maybe we'll do with that next week. That'd be great. Yeah. We'll have some detail on that. Yeah. So then they surround the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints who are reigning from Jerusalem because Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives when he comes back and we will have our transformed bodies. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain or survive to that end time. Uh, we will be caught up to meet them in the air and then he will descend and then he'll defeat his enemies. The end of chapter 19, verses 20, 19 through 21. The beast is taken with him, the false prophet who did these lying signs and wonders, right? Throw light of the lake of fire. And then we will reign with him for a thousand years and when these folks have surrounded us, uh, then guess what it says? It says the Father will rain fire down from heaven. It says fire comes down from heaven and destroys them. So uh, that's at the end of the millennium after Satan is let loose for a short time. So we reign with Christ for a thousand years and Satan's been bound for a thousand years. It says at the beginning of that chapter in chapter 20, at the end of those thousand years, he's let loose for a short time. He gathers the nations of the world together who we have been proselytizing, going out and saying, hey, come up to the feast of the Lord, come and worship Jesus. Uh, and if they don't come up, there'll be a curse upon uh, you know, them, it says in Zechariah 14 and so forth. But at the end of that time, Satan is let loose and they come forth and they try to destroy uh, Christ and us, but fire comes down and destroys them. Now, when you get to Revelation chapter 21, this is after, and by the way, there's another little parenthetical thing going on right there before you get to Revelation 21. Verses 11 through 15, you have the great white throne judgment where the books are opened and the sea gives up its dead and death and Hades, you know, and Hades gives up its dead. Everyone whose name, the books are open, you know, probably the books of their deeds and they're judged out of those books and the book of life is open. Everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. So it's interesting. Uh, it's right after that. So you have, now let's, to make it more, to, make, to simplify it, to just summarize it, Christ's second coming for his bride, destruction of the beast of the false prophet, lake of fire, the establishment of his kingdom at the beginning of chapter 20 with the binding of Satan for a thousand years, Satan being let loose for a short time, Satan bringing the kings of the world against Christ and us at Jerusalem, God the Father raining fire down from them, upon them. This is, just past the thousand years, thousand years in that short period where Satan brings these folks against us, he destroys them with fire and then the great white throne judgment. And then after great white throne judgment, the, the wicked dead are all thrown in the lake of fire. It's all done. It's all over. Then guess what he does? He makes a new heaven, a new earth where there's no more death because now we are talking about heaven. So it's about the heavenly kingdom. And if you keep reading, sister, you, you continue to read, you'll see you know, that he talks about New Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a bride adorned for husband, and he describes this as, you know, there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more death. Uh, glorious day, happily ever after, for real, forever and ever <laughs> uh, in the eternal kingdom. And so uh, you were right. Your intuition uh, and your knowledge of Scripture coalesced there. Uh, and the fruit of that is, yeah, when you look at the Scripture, uh, it's quite clear that we're not talking about the millennium in Revelation chapter 21. 
and a very few, you know, futuristic exegetes who believe in a millennial kingdom, I don't, very few of them would actually say that's the millennium. Amen. So, I mean, that's, uh, it's awesome to get into this because we're going to talk also, another question that came up from somebody from our congregation, Michael Black had asked you specifically, not just about a specific text in the book of Revelation, but also from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this has to do once again with the millennial reign because Christ is obviously reigning for a thousand years. So his question, it relates to 1 Corinthians 15, which I'm sure you're going to read from, but does Christ only reign for a thousand years and then we have everything under the footstool of his fa- of the Father, and now Christ only reigns for those thousand years, is the question. Yeah, and it is a great question. He asked me this uh, the Sunday before last. Great question. You know, Mike always has great questions. He really thinks through the Scripture. And I think he also had a discussion with somebody, if I, my memory serves me right. And I'm going to basically give the answer I gave him after service. And it was a great question because in 1 Corinthians 15, it does talk about how, you know, uh, you know, after he's made his enemies a footstool, then it talks about, you know, Christ, the last enemy death being destroyed. And it talks about Jesus handing the kingdom over to the Father or being subjected to the Father. So, And, and so does he cease to reign at that point? Does he only reign for a thousand years? Or is his kingdom eternal in some way? And, if, and how does this fit together if it is? And what's going on there? And it's a great question. And I'm basically going to give you the answer that he gave him. Uh, and with a little bit more uh, scriptural support to the answer, because I'm going to actually read a few other scriptures, and I'll also, of course, mention the scriptures I share with Mike, Michael. But Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, it says, And he put all things, that is the Father, put all things under his, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's his interesting terminology. Uh, and then in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the very form of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself and became in the likeness of a servant, of a man. He took upon himself humanity, right? And he died a death. And then it goes on to say, even the death on the cross. So we're supposed to have this mindset too, to humble ourselves. Him being God did it. How much more should we as humans create his image, humble ourselves before him? And then he says uh, that he gave him the name above every other name. You know, every name. That uh, the name of Jesus, you know, that every uh, knee would bow to him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're talking about something. I mean, Jesus said all power, all authority. The Greek word is not dunamis there. Uh, it's the other word for authority instead of, you know, raw power. Uh, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I mean, that's authority, right? In heaven and earth. So Jesus has all power. He, he reigns. Uh, uh, overall. So the question is, well, what about 1 Corinthians 15? And yes, he's going to reign for that during that thousand, period of thousand years. What about 1 Corinthians 15 when it says that he'll submit his authority to the Father in some way? And let me read the text. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 28. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits which this is great for resurrection message. I kind of touched on this in the resurrection message. <laughs> After those who are Christ at his coming, when he co- then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Now, isn't that interesting? Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to our God and Father, and he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So in 
There's in some way he's handed over the kingdom of the Father. That's important. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that he abolished is death. Then in verse 27 and following, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is clear this excludes the Father who has put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, that is Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. So we do have a very, very clear passage, and let me read it again, uh, because we do want to accept everything the Scriptures teach, and it, it, it's like a hand in a glove when you see it, and God's not the author of confusion. It says, then comes the end, verse 24, when he hands over the kingdom to our Father, to our God and Father, uh, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. So Jesus came to abolish death through his death on the cross, his resurrection, uh, uh, the last enemy death is not been, it's been overcome through the cross, but there's a cleanup going on right now. And then eventually when death is thrown into the lake of fire. Alongside Hades. <laughs> alongside Hades, right? <laughs> then then there'll be no more death at all, period. And that's all by virtue of either God's wrath being satisfied in the death of the wicked because they rejected the cross, or his wrath being satisfied in his son. And with regard to us, because of our acceptance of his substitution atonement on our behalf. So when you think about this, it's, it's really heavy. But we could just stop there, but there's a lot of scripture that fits into this. So uh, the Bible says we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. Scripture say, talks about comparing that which is spiritual with that is spiritual. So we have to put everything together and say, okay, how does this fit together? And one thing we need to keep in mind is Christ doesn't just reign for a thousand years. And while, yes, he hands the kingdom over to uh, our God and Father, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, uh, his, he, he, in another sense, his kingdom is also eternal. Well, how does that fit with the scripture we just read? Well, hopefully it'll make sense to you in a moment because uh, the viewpoint I'm going to give you uh, synthesizes all the passages where there's total harmony and we can have peace in that harmony because it makes perfect sense uh, when you understand a few other things. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. This is the clear passage where the Messiah is going to reign uh, as a son of man. And Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man from this passage. And we read in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Daniel states, I kept looking at the night visions, or in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and honor and a kingdom. Now listen to this. So that all peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Now, it's interesting because some of the Hebrew words that could be translated everlasting uh, uh, can sometimes be open, obviously, to interpretation. You know, how should they be translated and so forth, Elam uh, being one. Uh, but, but guess what? This is augmented by the fact it says, which will not pass away, which emphasizes the eternality of Jesus' kingdom. Uh, and there's more than this, by the way. So it's a slam dunk that he definitely rules forever in some way. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In fact, we go a little further down. And uh, so this means his kingdom would actually go beyond the thousand years. So why is a thousand years specifically designated as a thousand years? How does he reign beyond that? What does that look like? Well, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 through 27, a few verses down, it says this is what he said. The fourth beast, uh, which will be the Antichrist kingdom, right? Uh, will be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which 
will be different from all the other kingdoms. And we read about that in Revelation 13, where the beast, you know, has the, the, the body of a bear and the feet of a leopard and the face of a lion and so forth. This is a diverse kingdom, uh, which is a conglomeration of the Persian uh, and the Babylonian and even the Grecian kingdom, but diverse, uh, and will devour the whole earth and trample it down and crush it. Verse 24, as for the ten horns out of the kingdom, uh, ten horns will arise, and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and will humble the three kings, and uh, and he will speak against the Most High. The Antichrist, it says, will blaspheme God, Revelation 13, and wear down the saints, Revelation 13, will overcome the saints, of uh, the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in the times and in the law, and they will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. And by the way, this is, when he says time, a time and half times, this is repeated in the book of Revelation. And most scholars uh, that are futurists agree that a time is a year and the times is two years. So it's a, a year and two years, that's three. And then half a time is half a year, three and a half years. And that fits really great with uh, Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 13, where we see not only time, times, and half a time, but we see that the Antichrist reigns for 1260 days, which happens to be three and a half years. Or for 42 months, Revelation chapter 13, which happens to be time, times, and a half time, or three and a half years. And by the way, God is making it clear to us that this is a 42-month or three-and-a-half-year or 1260-day period. Now, why is this important? Because why is the Lord painstakingly letting us know this? Because if it doesn't matter, if, it doesn't, if it's just symbolic, it's not just symbolic. Uh, because we know the first 69 Shabuah, is Shabuim, because it's plural, uh, Hebrew, we know the first 69 Shabuah, uh, Shabuim has to do with 69 sevens until the Messiah. 62 and 7, 7, 69 until the Messiah be cut off after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which was given in Nehemiah chapter 2, which brings you to between 30 or 33 AD, right in that area, right? So right when Messiah was crucified. Those were literal, literal uh, uh, Shabuah or Shabuim, seven-year periods. So if the first 69 sevens were literal, and they were, bringing you to 445 or 454, uh, 445, 444 BC, depending on which encyclopedia, you know, we don't know for sure, brings you to around, you know, 32, 33 AD or so. So it's interesting. We'll have time to get into all the math and how you skip the, over the zero when you go from BC to AD and so forth, and it's just one year and all that, and you have to go by solar, uh, by lunar years and so forth. Uh, but uh, because that's the way prophecy is counted in the book of Daniel or book of Revelation. So it's kind of interesting when you look at all this. And I mentioned this because when you realize that the early church fathers as well, by the way, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Hippolytus, Latantius, all these and several more I can mention, all looked at that last seven years as a literal seven-year period and the three and a half years being the time that the abomination of desolation would be set up, the Antichrist, and that last three and a half years being the great tribulation period. Why do I say all this? Because that, that three and a half years is, is definitely literal. So if God's using literal numbers in the book of Revelation, you don't want to get to the thousand-year reign of Christ and say, that's symbolic. That, I mean, that's a huge point to make right yeah, there. Sure. Because you're otherwise you're destroying Christ's prophecy, the most literal prophecy as far as when he would be crucified, 69 sevens. And you're destroying uh, that last seven, which, by the way, they understood it as, and I don't consider myself a pre-trib dispensationalist, obviously, because I believe the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. But I do believe God is not done with Israel. I believe that's very clear in Romans 
chapter 11. But the early church fathers were post-trib, but they also did understand that last week was for the very end, and it was separate from the other 69 weeks. And they took it very literally. And as you know, Chad, because you study the church fathers probably as much as I do, is that they were very clear that the thousand years was a thousand years. Oh, yeah. I mean, Papias even as well. You know, one of the things... Papias very early, by the way. Very early, yeah. And and funny funny enough, you know, we have the book, uh, it's behind me, by Jesus and the Manuscripts, and we actually interviewed Dr. Craig Evans, and one of the things he brings out in that book is the fact that when Eusebius wrote about Papias, one of the things he was trying to distance himself right. from was the fact that Papias was a disciple of John yeah. the Apostle. Why? Specifically because of his pre-millennial view, because what's going on? Who's ha- who is he writing this history of the Christian church for? None other than Constantine. So what were they dealing with? And this is one of the things that we should always be, be mindful of, right, when it comes to our theology. You cannot let even newspapers dictate your theology. You cannot let politi- politics dictate your theology. Amen. None of that. And look at what happened. He literally brings this guy, John the Elder, to separate himself from John the Apostle. As though he's a different guy. Right? As though he's a different person because he did not want Constantine to see that maybe he's the Antichrist or something, you know. And and it's very, very interesting. But like you said, this is the early church view. You can't get around it. The premillennial oh, yeah. view is so clear in the early church. Yeah, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, yeah. Hippolytus, Tantius, and many others, uh, Papias. Uh, and and I, I say this for the sake of anybody that might be listening that's like, oh, a thousand years, That's maybe that's a figured number. No, look at the 42 months, the three and a half years, the, 300, the yeah. 1260 days, the time, times, and a half a time. Uh, it's very, very, there's symbolism in Revelation, yeah. but you don't make something up and say, well, this is a symbol because you don't want there to be a thousand year millennium. Uh, because guess what? Then everything's open to your imagination. Then you can make the Bible say anything you want. You can yeah. make the book of Revelation say anything you want. And then you're in jeopardy of verses 18 and 19 of chapter 22, which warns you not to add or take away from the book because you start putting your own theology or what you want something to say in there. So uh, I believe the early church fathers were pretty much spot on in the understandings of prophecy, save for their. Uh, understand of, of Israel because Israel had been destroyed. They're like, oh, God's done. They didn't focus a lot on that. But the scriptures are very clear that God's not done with Israel. So it's interesting when we look at this and getting back to this question now is we're seeing that he has an eternal kingdom. And uh, in Psalm chapter 45, verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness uh, or uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Does that sound familiar? That's quoted in the New Testament of Jesus where it says his throne is forever and ever, and it's quoted of Jesus by the Father. And we read in Hebrews chapter 1, we read, in uh, this is great, verse 6, and when, he be, uh, and when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Not only God has to be worshipped, but the Father is saying to worship the Son. That's why we're talking about the triune God here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 7, and, and regarding the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds uh, and his or spirits, pneuma is a Greek word there, and his ministers a flame of fire. Uh, verse 8, but regarding the Son, he says, now this is, this is what the Father says about the Son, your throne, O God, God, is forever and ever. Father calls Jesus God, says his throne is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. That is the Father's thing that Jesus created everything. They will perish, but you will remain. They will be. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will all be changed. 
but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. And there's a certain parallelism, a contrast between the garments being wasted or worn, worn up and being rolled up and him not coming to an end and his kingdom being forever and ever. I think this is very profound. But to which of the angels had he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, isn't that interesting? That same verse comes in the context of his, con- of his kingdom being what? Eternal. Eternal. And I, that's just, that's, that's, so there's something we have to understand. Okay, how does it fit together? How does he reign for a thousand years and hand the kingdom over to the Father, yet still reign eternally? It's not really hard, and we'll see in a minute. 2 Peter 2, 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Yes, election is not unconditional. You have to confirm it through faith. For if you do these things, you will never stumble or fall. He's warning them so they don't fall away. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Now listen, into the eternal kingdom. Eternal kingdom. Eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that because his kingdom, I love Second Peter. Yeah. His kingdom is the <laughs> eternal kingdom. Amen. And that's the only place we find that phrase used, the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. So how does this work out? Uh, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion the mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now this is important. It's not as though, as some people sometimes seem to understand it, that he sits at his right hand until the new heaven and new earth. He sits at his right hand until his enemies are made a footstool. When will his enemies be made a footstool? It says that God will bring them all to Megiddo, right? In the Valley of Jehoshaphat also, which is more toward Jerusalem, in Israel. All the nations will gather together to fight against the Lamb. There's a footstool. And then he will send forth his son. He will leave his right hand. Because listen to what he says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So he's leaving the right hand to go and rule and establish his reign. And he will rule for a thousand years. And when we read Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21, this is when he leaves the right hand of the Father to establish his rule on the earth. And by the way, in Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, at the last trumpet, Paul said, will be changed at the last trumpet. It's a mystery. Revelation 10, 7, uh, in the voice of the seventh angel, that's the last trumpet. The mystery of God will be finished. And we get to Revelation 11, 15, that's when the trumpet's blown, the seventh trumpet. And what happens? It says, the kingdoms of this world became the kingdom of Christ. So he establishes his reign on earth at his coming, and he rewards his saints. When does he reward his saints? Revelation chapter 22, I come quick from every word is with me. So here in Revelation 19, when he comes, and I saw heaven and I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing, uh, a blazing fire, and so forth. And the beast and the false prophet are thrown alive, as we keep reading, in the lake of fire, uh, as he establishes his reign. And then you have his thousand-year reign, which we've already talked about, where uh, he, he, he rise, believers are raised from the dead. And we reign with him for a thousand years and so forth. Now, then we read in Revelation 12, 7, and 10. That's where we read about the thousand years were completed. Satan is released from his prison. He gathers Gog and Magog against the saints. God rains fire from 
heaven, and so forth, which we've already read about. But guess what we also read about? In Revelation 21, 22, and 23. Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. That there's two lights. The Father's a light and the Son's a light. There's no need of the night. We read Revelation chapter 5, 11 through 14, that all, the entire heavens and earth and everybody under the earth, everybody proclaims glory to the Father and to the Lamb. What's going on there? You have the Father and the Son both being worshipped, both being the lights, and both, guess what, reigning. And I gave Michael this analogy. I said, Michael, when he asked me that question after service, I said, Michael, if I send my wife, and this is similar to the analogy I gave, I, I said, if my wife, uh, I used a picture of a woman having authority over a bunch of children, and she, for instance, goes on a mission trip, and I'm modifying the, the, the illustration a little bit, and she brings the ch- my children with her, and she's ruling over them. Well, when I join her, just like the father is going to join Jesus, now I'm ruling over them because she submits to my leadership as a husband. But is my wife no longer ruling over them? Does your wife still rule over your kids, bro? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, mine too, right? Mm-hmm. So we co-rule together, but now it's my, my home as far as leadership goes, but it's also hers. It's the Father and the Son will both reign forever and ever and receive eternal worship and eternal glory together. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show. 